All right, so we're continuing uh, in our study called Kingdom Minded. And this is where we're just, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're saying, hey, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And so Jesus said, hey, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so these, where he is talking to his disciples, of this is what it looks like to follow me. So if we have repented and believed, and we are following Christ, then we need to have the mind of Christ. So what does that look like? And so that's what this study is all about. Um, is looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it look like to be kingdom-minded? But before, uh, so tonight, we're going to be looking at, okay, like, not to anger. Like, how are we to respond to anger? <clears throat> like, how are we to respond when we get angry? What should be our response as a follower of Christ? And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So if you have your own copy of God's Word, like a physical Bible, then we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 21 through 26. For anyone that forgot to bring their Bibles, it's on the back side of your notes that you have on your chair, so you can come uh, follow along with us as we go through this. Uh, but before we go, uh, before we jump in, I want to give like a little bit of like a scenario um, that I want you to think about. So here's a scenario. Imagine like, you know, you start a nice little campfire, all right? You got a nice little campfire in your backyard. You want to roast some s'mores or hot dogs, whatever, or just enjoy it because it's a summer night before everything starts, all right? You have your little like barrier around your fire pit or like your little... Fire, you're good, right? Imagine you leave that fire overnight and you decide to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Next, you know, that sucker's starting to take over the whole yard, all right? It's starting to burn your whole yard. But, and people are even like, hey, like, you should maybe do something about it. You go, no, I'm fine. I got it under control. I can, I can put it out when I want. Well, sure enough, that fire gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And not only does it start capturing you and your house, it starts capturing your neighbor's house and their yard. Your neighbor's like, hey, dude, like, your fire is starting to take up more than just your yard and my yard. It's starting to take up my house and our yard and everything. Ah, no, it's fine. I can, I can put it out whenever. It's all, it's all good. I got it under control. I'll put it out when I want to. Well, the fire keeps going. The fire gets bigger. It gets a whole lot worse. In fact, it takes out the whole neighborhood. All the yards, all the houses. And they got all these neighbors going. They got all these neighbors going. Hey, dude, this fire that started your backyard got a lot bigger. It's taking over everything. Like, you need to put this out. No, it's fine. I got it under control. I can put it out when I want to. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. The fire gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Let me ask you this. What could have been totally different in this scenario? Okay, put it out the first time. When was the first time? When it was, when it was right here, right? When it was a little campfire? Think about this. This tiny... Little campfire went from this to this to this. A tiny little campfire. It had its boundaries. It had its parameters. But once it got outside of that and we let it grow and grow and grow, it not only started to affect that person and our yard and our house, it started to affect our neighbor's house, our neighbor's yard. Next thing you know, our whole neighborhood, our whole community around us, it started to affect and literally burn many different things. I bring up this scenario because this is exactly how we are to view our anger. That we can have our anger, we keep it in its parameters, its rightful parameters under God, bringing it to his sovereignty, it's fine. But once we start letting it grow more and more and more, it's going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And what we thought that we could keep under control, next you know, it starts affecting us and everything about our life. And it starts spilling out and affecting our neighbors and those around us to where it starts capturing everything. When really, we could have settled it right here. That, that if we would have started from the beginning, keeping it within the parameters and keeping it with its rightful place, it could have been used properly. 
Like when a fire is used properly, it could be used to, yeah, make the s'mores and cook the hot dogs and have a nice fun night. But when we let it get out of control and outside the parameters, it gets worse and worse and worse. And that is how we are to understand our angers. When we let our anger go uncontrolled, we let our anger go unchecked, then it's going to lead to it spilling out and affecting so many other people. It's going to affect other people and and burn those around us. And no matter how much we say, no, I got it under control, when we don't submit it to the control of God, then we're going to see how much it affects other people. Here's the thing. Again, all of us are fallen, sinful human beings. We are prone to want to try to take our anger under our own control. We want to handle anger how we best see fit. We want to say, I got it. I can handle it. Yes, I might be angry at certain things, but I know exactly how to respond to this. But here's the thing. Here's the main point I want us to get out of tonight's passage is this. To be kingdom-minded is to submit all of our anger to the lordship of Jesus Christ. To be kingdom-minded is to submit all of our anger to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That the moment we start getting angry about stuff is that we ultimately submit it to God. Because what we're going to look at is anger in and of itself is not bad. Anger in and of itself is not bad. But when we have it go unchecked and we don't filter it through the word of God, we don't submit it to God and have him direct it, then yes, then it can become sinful. And so to be kingdom minded is to submit all of our anger to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because all of our life belongs to Christ. So we want to submit even our own emotions to Christ. So like I said, we are in Matthew chapter 5. Looking at verses 21 through 26. And again, it's on the back side of your notes. You can keep up. So let's read this together. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray for tonight. I pray as we just... Uh, enter to this time of studying your word. I pray you will free us up from any distractions, uh, that you will free us up from our phones. You'll free us up from our neighbors. You'll free us up from maybe things that are weighing heavily on our hearts and minds. And I pray that we will just over these next few minutes, just look at your word and Holy Spirit, you will open up just our minds to understand it. You will open up our eyes to see our need for Christ. You'll open up our hearts to be able to receive these truths so that it will take root and bear fruit and that we will live this out and become even more kingdom minded. It is only by your grace we're able to do any of this. So I pray just over these next few minutes that it will just be your truth that is preached and not my opinion. And anything that is of my opinion will be forgotten. And anything that is your truth will be the one that is planted and takes root and grows and bears fruit from there. So we can continue to be kingdom-minded. We can continue to become more of the people of God and family of God you've called us to be and continue to make Christ's name known. For all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. And so, so when Jesus is talking about this, again, what we have to remember is Jesus is talking to his disciples. Like, these are disciples of Christ. Like, if we're a follower of Christ, he's saying, this is how we should be. And so he gives us two truths that we are to do. So if we're to live this out, 
to be able to submit all of our anger to the Lordship of Christ, there's two truths, two actions we are to give. First one is this. We are to check our hearts. We are to check our hearts. So again, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples. And what we talked about two weeks ago, it said Jesus came to fulfill the law. So Jesus came to fulfill all those 613 commandments that we saw, that we talked about. And so now he's saying, I'm giving you this new commandment. It's a new commandment under the new covenant. What he's doing is he's taking these Old Testament, basically the Ten Commandments, and he's expanding upon them. So he's taking the Ten Commandments that these Pharisees and scribes were talking about, and he is going to the heart of the matter. Because what the Pharisees and scribes were doing is they were literally interpreting the law literally. So we're going to look at it. As he said, when it says, you shall not murder, all they interpret it as, okay, just the physical act of wrongly taking someone's life. But Jesus is like, I'm going to get to the heart of the matter, what's beyond that action in and of itself. And so he's giving these new commands that we are to follow. And so the first one he says is this in verse 21. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So this is quoting directly from Exodus 20.13 and Deuteronomy 5.17, where all it says is, you shall not murder. So Jesus is reinforcing that Old Testament law, but then he is definitively like interpreting that command. So it says, okay, if you commit murder, then you are liable to judgment. Basically, liable means like you are subject to legal matters. Like if you physically commit the act of taking someone's life, then you are subject to legal actions against that. And so judgment is it's a termination of right and wrong on legal matters. So if you physically commit this act, then you are subject to what is right and wrong and those that judge you according to that. So the Old Testament takes murder very seriously. In fact, in the Old Testament, if someone committed murder, it says they themselves should be murdered. Like the Old Testament, like the Old Testament takes murder very seriously. And so it should be taken seriously because it's wrongfully taking someone's life. But Jesus is going to take it even step further. So look at what it says in this, in the second half of verse uh, 21, or what it says in 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus not only gives his Old Testament command of like, hey, yes, you shouldn't murder someone, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to transcend this law to where it's even greater. So when Jesus says, but I say to you, that was really significant because he said, okay, you've heard it said of old. When he said, you've heard it said of old, those are the people that were at Mount Sinai when like God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. So when Moses saying like, you've heard it said, this is literally saying like, God has told me to tell you this. So when Jesus says, but I say to you, Jesus is literally saying, okay, you are hearing from the mouth of God, that he is claiming divinity and authority to teach and preach this stuff. And so here's what he says. He says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So basically what a brother means, this means like a neighbor. It means like a fellow brother or sister in Christ, like a fellow believer. So he's saying, if you are angry at your brother, you are liable to judgment. In fact, in 1 John 3, 15, it takes it a step further. It says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and eternal life is not abiding in him. So look at this. The same phrase. Look at verse 21 like it says again. You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And then verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Same phrase, same thing. So Jesus is literally placing being angry at our brother a fellow brother on the same level, same severity as committing murder. So on the surface, we would say that sounds insane. Okay, that sounds insane saying like me being angry at someone is totally different than someone actually taking someone's life. Like that, that's just that that almost sounds ludicrous and impossible. But what what Jesus is trying to get at, he's trying to get at the heart of this law. 
So what we understand is he talked about how the Pharisees and scribes were the teachers of the law at this time. And so when the Pharisees taught this, they taught the literal meaning. Like, okay, just wrongfully taking someone's life. That's it. So they're trying to almost treat it like a list of rules that we are to obey in order to obtain salvation. But Jesus is going beyond that. He's trying to explain the heart, the attitude behind the action of physically committing murder. So he's not talking about just the action itself, but the attitude behind it. Because see, what Jesus ultimately cares about, he cares about the heart behind these matters. It's like he cares, he cares so much more about our heart rather than us just, just strictly obeying the law and that's it, like a list of rules. And so he's trying to explain the heart of the law because, again, it went beyond a physical matter. So in verse 21, it says, hey, if you commit murder, then you're liable to judgment. So it's talking about, like, when you physically commit that act, then you're going to go to human court and they can physically see, like, the evidence of what happened. But he says in verse 22, like, being angry with someone was liable to judgment is reference to, like, divine judgment. Because it's, it's, as, as, it's hard to see someone when they're truly angry. Like, yes, they might make faces or things like that. But when someone truly has anger in their hearts, that's a lot more difficult to see than the physical act of, let's say, committing murder of taking someone's life. Because murder can be seen. Anger is letting it grow physically. Anger cannot be physically seen. So Jesus was explaining how murder was more than something that was physically committed. But there was an attitude there was an attitude behind that act that led to murder. And so here's what he wants to get. Jesus cares more about a transformed heart than strict obedience. That Jesus cares more about a transformed heart than strict obedience. Now what I'm saying is, that's not saying Jesus did not care about obedience. I'm not saying Jesus does not care about us obeying what he commands us to do. But what I'm saying is that if we are trying to obey, strictly obey the law in order to obtain salvation, it will never happen. That if we, it's all about our attitude behind how we live these things out. So if our attitude is, okay, I'm going to obey these laws in order to obtain salvation, then our heart is off. Our heart is totally off on this. So many of us could go our whole lives, because think about this. Many of us, I think, could go our whole lives without physically the, like, physically the act of wrongfully taking someone's life. I think we have this sense of, hey, you shall not murder. I think most of us in this room would say, yeah, like I, 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 I don't think I could physically do that. But here's the thing is, is it's the heart behind that. He's saying like that anger that starts inside you, like someone did not just wrongfully take someone's life out of the blue. Like there was, there was a heart that led to this. There was attitude that slowly built and grew and grew that eventually led to this act being committed. And so here is, there's one of two things that we can do. When we become angry at someone, we are truly are angry. There's one of two things we can do is this. We can either put it into God's hands or we can take it into our hands. That we either put it into God's hands and submit it to him and allow him to guide us in these steps. Or we can say, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to do what I best see fit because of a wrong that I feel like that's been done to me. Or an offense I feel like it's been committed to me. Or an offense that I feel like it's been committed to a family member, a friend, a whatever you want to name. So if we have these two different options, let me ask you this to think about. When you are angry, what is your first response? How do you handle your anger? You want us to answer? No, that's just for you to think about. Like for you to think about internally. Like for you to think about internally. Like, just like when you are angry, like what is your first response? Like when you have that anger start boiling inside of you, how do you handle it? Do you vent about it? Do you let it just build up inside of you until it just spills out all over? Are you submitting it to God to guide you? Or are you trying to take it into your own hands and handle it your own way? Because here's something I want us to understand about anger is a lot of times people misperceive like, oh, if you get angry, then you're sinning. 
No. A- anger in and of itself is not a sin. That's what I want to say. In fact, there is righteous anger. A few verses talks about like anger being like okay, if you will. In Psalm 4, 4, it says, be angry and do not sin. So it separates them. In Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, it says, be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Or even a step further than that, in Psalm 139, 19 through 24, like David's saying, like, don't, don't I hate those who hate you? Don't I loathe those who who's rise up against you? Like, I have complete hatred for those that are enemies of you. But still, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. Because God, you can search me and you know my heart. Again, anger is not a sin. Anger is a human emotion. God gave us emotions to express. This is a human emotion that God gave us to express, but it's how we respond to that anger and what we do with it that can lead to sin. That's what it says, be angry, but do not sin. It says, be angry, but don't give the devil an opportunity. It's saying, okay, you can be angry at something, but don't let it be an opportunity that you commit sin in that process. To where, to where you maybe say a hurtful word to someone. To where you slander someone. To where maybe you physically harm someone. Again, it is a, it's an emotion and it's not a sin. But again, it's how we respond to that. So Jesus actually talks about when we take anger into our own hands, Jesus shows the process of what that looks like. So we look at verse 22. Again, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so here's what I want us to understand. Anger in our hearts can lead to actions responding to that anger. So like when we have certain emotions built up inside of us, we will have actions that respond to those emotions that are inside us. So look at the process here in 22. It says, okay, when you're angry with your brother... And then you insult your brother, and then you say, you fool. So it's anger with his brother that leads to insulting his brother, that leads to him saying, you fool. In fact, that word insult, it literally means abuse. So it's like you're talking about like you get this anger, and then it leads to, to maybe physically or emotionally or verbally harming someone or cutting someone to their core. I'm sure many of us can go around and talk about where someone said just a hurtful word that cut us to our core. Where, where we let anger burn so much inside of us and overwhelm us so much that we said something in the moment that I'm sure we said, I wish I could take that back. Of where we, we hurt someone we didn't mean to. Where we, we wrongfully said something we shouldn't. And so what I want us to understand is, 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 again, it's this furious attitude. It started with this furious attitude that led to this abusive and furious speech, calling that brother an idiot or a fool. Now, what I want us to understand is it's not the act itself of him calling someone a fool that, that says that leads him to hell. That's not what this is saying. It's the attitude behind it. Just like today, we wouldn't say if someone used some sort of swear word at us, we wouldn't say, well, they're going to a really hot place. It's not that itself, but it's the attitude, it's the anger behind it that led to it because here's the thing our words matter to god how we talk to people matter to god in fact here's just a few verses that describe how much our words matter in colossians 4 6 it said our speech should be always gracious and seasoned with salt knowing how we ought to answer and respond to each person in fact in matthew 12 36 jesus says this we will have to give an account for every careless word that we spoke Let me go a step further than that. We'll have to give an account for every careless word we spoke, for every tweet that we've done, for every hashtag that we've used, for every post that we've done. We have to give an account for every last one of that. And just a couple verses prior to that, Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So whatever is the content of our heart will be made known through our actions and our, and our words and how we respond to that. And so we have anger built up inside of us. How are we going to respond? Are we going to submit it to God and allow him to guide us and guide our perspective? Or are we going to try to take matters into our own hands? Because as we've seen before, it says our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. The natural, our hearts are going to do what's best for us. Naturally, if we say, okay, if someone's hurt us, then we want to hurt them. A lot of times we hear, hey, fight fire with fire. But you know what happens when you fight fire with fire? You just build a bigger fire. You know what happens if fire gets bigger and all, nothing gets resolved? In fact, everyone just gets burned in the end. But instead, we can respond as a follower of Christ. We can respond with salt to put out that fire. We can respond with graciousness to be able to put out these things. We can, we can put these things out. We don't have to give in to these things. So let me ask you this. Have there been hurtful words you have said to a fellow believer that you regret? Have there been any feelings of anger that you have in your heart that you have gone unchecked? In fact, have you repented of that anger and sought forgiveness from God from that person? How do you handle your anger? Do you let it fester and grow? Do you let it grow inside you to where it just eats up everything inside you and just encompasses so much about you? Because here's the thing, unchecked anger anger will always lead to sinful actions. Unchecked anger will always lead to sinful actions because here's the thing, our actions flow from the attitudes of our heart. Our actions flow from the attitude of our heart. When our heart is transformed, our action will reflect that. When we are obeying God in order to obtain salvation, that will reflect in our actions. If we are trying to work our way to God, if we're trying to earn our salvation, that will reflect in the way we live our lives. But we obey God out of an overflow of receiving salvation from him. But that's how we live our lives. That, that we're not living these things out in order to obtain salvation. That we are living out, we're obeying Christ because he has given us salvation that we don't deserve. And so when we realize that, then that'll help us have a heart that's transformed in how we respond to things. That Christ even died for the sins of when we might get angry at people and respond. Jesus even died for the times that we might have offended him himself. And so we realize that we are to bring all of our heart, we're to bring our hearts before God. Because think about this, Christ lived a perfect sinless life. Think about this, Christ took on flesh. And so he understands, he understands what it's like to get angry. He understands what it's like to be wronged against or have offenses given to him. So we know that that gives us even more encouragement. Okay, I can bring my anger, my heart before God, knowing he cares about all of that. And he understands. So we must constantly check our hearts. We must constantly submit our anger to God. And so when we check our hearts, and that'll help us lead to the second truth we're to do, we're to be at peace with everyone. We're to be at peace with everyone. So Paul, or Jesus, sorry, Jesus gives us two examples in this of what it looks like of when we try to take anger on our hands or how we are to respond to anger, how we are to treat other people with these things. And so Jesus gives two examples. The first one is 23 through 24 where it says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So again, this is talking about, he uses the term brother. So we're talking about, okay, another follower of Christ. 
that maybe we've committed a wrong against or we feel like they've committed a wrong against us. And so it's saying how we are to respond to this. He's saying, okay, if you are offering, let's say, a gift, some sort of sacrifice at the altar, and you remember as you're doing this, hey, I have an offense. I've offended another brother and sister in Christ, or I feel like they have offended me. He literally says, drop everything you're doing, leave it right there at the altar, and go to that person. Go to that person and be reconciled. Then you can come back and offer this gift to God. So a little bit of background, the historical significance with this is these people lived in Galilee. And so they would go to the Jerusalem temple, which was about like 78 miles away from where they were. So and of course, they're not they're not driving car there. They have to walk there. So that would take a few days to get there, to get from Galilee to the Jerusalem temple. And so he's saying, look, if you walked a few days to get to that Jerusalem temple, and you're about to offer this gift of sacrifice to me. But you know that you have not been reconciled to a fellow brother or sister in Christ. You need to drop everything you're doing. You need to head back into town, which would be another few days to travel back. And you need to meet with that person and be reconciled. And then come back to the altar and offer your gift. This was significant at this time. In fact, in Hosea 6.6, 6, God, God says this, For I desire steadfast love and not desire, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So what we see is this. Personal reconciliation should take precedence over religious duty. So personally being reconciled to a fellow brother and sister in Christ should take precedence over our religious duties. So what I mean by that is this. Is it'd be a real shame if, let's say, we are, if we're standing on a Sunday morning at church. We are standing in the sanctuary. We are singing praises to God with our arms raised. We're singing about how much we love God, but we have hate in our heart for a fellow brother and sister that's in that same sanctuary. That we sing about how much we love God and we are sold out to God. And that we're so thankful that God forgives us of all of our sins. But we won't forgive that person for what they did to us. It's stuff like that where we should drop everything and go to that person. In fact, I want us to get an important perspective that he gives us that we can really relate to here in the 21st century. Again, Jesus said, hey, drop everything you're doing and go to that person. He said, whatever you're doing, drop all of it and go physically see that person. He said, physically see that person. So for us, this means that we physically go to someone and we see them face to face and we reconcile with them. That means we don't reconcile with someone over text message. We don't reconcile with someone over social media. We don't reconcile with someone over a phone call. We don't even reconcile with someone over even FaceTime in that sense. We are to physically meet face-to-face and be reconciled with that fellow believer. This means that we drop everything important in our lives to be reconciled to that person first. It could be, let's say, an important sports game you got going on, whether it be the playoffs or championship. You need to drop that and go be reconciled to your brother and sister. It could be about to... Like clock into an important shift at work. You need to drop that and go be reconciled to your brother and sister in Christ. It could be, let's say, an important test for school or for college or whatever else. You need to drop that and go be reconciled to your brother and sister in Christ. And here's the thing. Regardless of who offended whom, but it's of the offender and the injured party coming together being reconciled. So it's not a matter of, well, they hurt me or I hurt them. It's, it's not a matter of that. It's both parties coming together and being reconciled to God. Fellow brothers and sisters being reconciled back to God. So let me ask you this. Is there a fellow believer you know that you need to go make things right with? In fact, I'll even go a step further. Is that fellow believer themselves maybe even here in this room or attend this church that you need to go make things right? That you need to physically go face to face and talk with that person and be reconciled back together. 
Because this is what Christ is telling us to do, that we are to be reconciled as brothers and sisters in Christ. As followers of Christ, we are to lead the way in what it looks like to be reconciled. In fact, divine forgiveness is linked to human forgiveness. Divine forgiveness is linked to human forgiveness. Think about this. As believers in Christ, we have experienced the greatest form of reconciliation and forgiveness imaginable. As believers, we've experienced this. Think about this. We have sinned against a holy, perfect, and just God. And God has every right to punish us for the offenses that we've committed against him. Because they are cosmic offenses. That we've sinned against a holy and perfect and just God, which means it takes a holy and perfect and just sacrifice to appease that and be reconciled back to that. And that God could easily have punished us for that. But here's the thing. God appeased that punishment, appeased that judgment by sending Christ to come, to take on flesh, to live all of these commands we couldn't live, to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to die on the cross, to pay for the penalty for all of our sins for all of time, to pay for all of our sins past, present, future, all the sins that we would commit against them before we got saved, and even all the sins we commit against them past when we became saved. Even all the sins we commit after we got saved. He knew all of these and he still died on the cross. Jesus knew all this and he could have said, why? They're going to hurt me. They're the ones that have offended me. I, have, I don't have to do anything towards this. But you know what Jesus said? No, I love them so much that I'm going to meet them where they're at. I'm going to live this life and I'm going to die so that I can reconcile them back to God. I can forgive them for all of their sins. There's no sin too great that I cannot forgive. There's nothing too great that they cannot be reconciled back to God and have a right relationship with him. He still came. He still died. He still cried out. It is finished and was resurrected out of the grave. Again, think about this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Again, Jesus, word made flesh, flesh and blood. God God taking on flesh, standing before these 12 disciples. And you know who two of those disciples are that he's talking with? Peter, who's going to deny him three times, and Judas, who's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. So if Jesus had any right, if anyone had any right to be angry, it'd be Jesus. But you know what Jesus still said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That, that Jesus forgave us of all of our sins. Knowing all of this about us, knowing all of our shortcomings, knowing all the times that we would offend him. And he said, I still want that person in my family. And I will pay for them to be in my family with my own life because I love them that much. It is that type of love. It is that type of compassion. It is that type of grace that we are to show to other people. It is from that position that we are so overwhelmed with humility and gratitude that Jesus would come to die and save a wretched sinner like me. And so we realize that he has forgiven me of all of that for all the offenses that I've committed. And he gives me the grace to be able to forgive those who have wronged me. He gives me the grace to forgive those who've wronged me. That's just with a fellow believer in Christ. But then he goes on in verses 25 and 26 where he goes a step further. And this is just with anyone, believer or unbeliever, where it says this in verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So again, Jesus is going on to talk about another thing. And this talks about an accuser. So an accuser, this is not a brother in Christ or a believer in Christ. It just could be a believer in Christ or an unbeliever in Christ. 
And so either way, the principle is still the same, that we are to go to them and come to terms quickly. In other words, be reconciled back to this person. Jesus is speaking with real urgency on this. He's saying, look, as you're going to the court, as you're walking to the court, come to terms quickly. Come to terms quickly when you're doing that. You're wanting to settle the matter before things reach court because when it reaches court, then you have to face judgment of the legal system. You have to face before the judge, then he hands you over to the guard, and then you have to face the full weight of the law against that. You have to pay every last penny in punishment. So during this time, and even our time, we can typically pay a smaller penalty for an offense by seeking, let's say, an out-of-court settlement rather than receiving it fully in court, rather than trying to settle it in the court. But once in the court, we face the full judgment of the law. So this, this type of facing judgment, come to terms quickly, and being reconciled is twofold on this. The first one is it's the ultimate divine judgment of God, but the other is about prolonging settling an issue. Here's the thing. The longer we put off coming to terms, it results in a harsher judgment. Especially if that comes to terms, meaning being reconciled to God for salvation. Imagine we have people that says, I'll get right with God later in life. Or or I'll come to believe God later in life. But that never comes. He's speaking with urgency. That reconciliation never comes. And he faces ultimate judgment before God. That is heartbreaking. But the other part of that is, is the prolonging effect of reconciling with one another. That if we just let something set, we just let something simmer. And we don't take care of it quickly. Here's the thing. The longer a person waits to correct an offense, the weightier the consequence becomes. The longer that we wait to right any wrongs, the greater the consequences will be. The longer we put off correcting or reconciling, the more it hinders our relationship with God and with one another. A relationship gets more and more strained. Think about this. When we are angry at someone else and we let that anger boil inside of us and we never address it, we never address it, that's going to continue to build more and more inside of us. To where neither side is giving ground to want to come together and reconcile this. So all it's going to do, it's going to continue to separate those people more and more and more and strain the relationship more and more and more until that relationship is broken. That grieves the heart of God. That grieves the heart of God when we are not reconciled with one another. We even have Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's about to go die on the cross. We're saying, Father, I pray for all the believers that will come to know you that they will be one. That they will be one together. That will bring them together. The longer we wait to deal with the anger in our hearts, the more it hinders our witness to the world around us. That is in desperate need of reconciliation and redemption. Imagine we are angry with people. Imagine we are angry with people and we just look no different than the world around us in how we handle these things. How we're just like, no, they hurt me, so I'm not going to do anything back in response. And we look just like the world. That hinders our relationship. That hinders our witness to a world around us. Where instead, imagine how beautiful it is. When we see people coming together of all different backgrounds, no matter what the offense might be, and we say, no, no, we're going to be reconciled because we come under the banner of Christ. That, that we know Christ has forgiven us of all of our sins, and we won't be able to forgive one another of their sins. That we are to be reconciled with people. We should not put off doing that. So let me ask you this. Are you putting off having that conversation with someone? Are you allowing feelings of anger and bitterness fester in your heart? Let me ask you this. What is stopping you from going and writing that offense with someone? The longer you hold off, the greater the consequence is. It is a beautiful testimony to God. We are reconciled back to God and reconciled with one another. So if there is someone, if there is anyone you have a grudge against, 
hard feelings towards. Someone you, that maybe whom you know, you think might have offended you or you feel like they've offended you. Would you settle that tonight? Would you meet them where they're at and settle that tonight? In fact, I'll have a quick story to wrap this up that, that kind of place for me. This was about two summers ago. And uh, it was a really rough summer um, for me and my family between just my church and family stuff happening. It was a rough summer. And, but amongst all that was my younger brother. Who, I mean, he was rebelling against God. He wanted nothing to do with God. He was living his own life and falling so far away. But during this summer, despite all the difficult situations that were happening at our church and within our family, it looked like that Eric was slowly coming to know Christ. It looked like he definitely came, it looked like he came to truly know Christ. And I'll be honest, after that really crummy summer, that was at least one beautiful thing I could hold on to. But then there was, this, there was this great sin that happened at our church that impacted a whole lot of people. One of them being my younger brother, Eric. And it was really tough because what happened is over the next about month or two, over the next kind of couple months, I saw him slowly pull back away from Christianity, slowly pull back away from fellow believers in Christ, slowly pull back away from all of that. And it was because of what this person did, this great sin that this person committed that affected so many people, including, I felt like, my younger brother. And I'll be honest, I was angry. I was angry at this person. I felt like this is the person that caused my younger brother to fall away. I felt like it was, it was because of this person that he is no longer wanting to go to church and want nothing to do with Christianity. And in fact, he has still pulled farther and farther away from Christianity since and is living so far away from God. And it breaks my heart to think about that and see that. To the point, I was so angry with this person that if a picture on social media came up that showed them, I mean, anger would boil over inside me. That I wanted to see nothing of this. And it hindered my relationship with God. It hindered pride to me and hardened my heart for that person. Saying, no, it's their fault, not mine. They're the ones that caused this, not me. And it was tough because God had to break my heart from this. God had to say, no, no, I have forgiven. I have forgiven them. And you need to let this go. You need to release this grip, which was tough. Because I'll be honest, my heart was hardened in so many ways. And it was going to take a while to work that out. And in fact, there's still been some ways I've given up slowly. And those, those places where I had a heart of stone, he's been able to soften it and slowly replace it with more love and compassion. But I'll be honest, it's not still fully healed. I'll be honest, there's still times where I can, I can get angry, where I think, look at what has happened. I've got to remember that I cannot allow this. I have to give this to God and have him to guide me in this, for him to help me with my anger, that my anger might be righteous in that sense, where it might be angry that I feel like she has sinned against God, that this person has sinned against God, and they've sinned against so many people, and I'm, I'm angry at that. But you know what? I've got to give that over to God and help him guide me in these conversations, guide me in how I handle this, guide me in how I respond to these things. Because that affects my relationship with him and affects my relationship with those around me. So let me ask you this. How's your heart? How's your heart? If you had to check your heart right now, how would it be? Are you constantly checking your heart to make sure it is in line with what God desires and commands? Are you constantly checking your heart to make sure that you are at peace with everyone around you, both believer and unbeliever? Are you allowing, what is your first response when you get angry? Do you allow it just to give it over to God, fall on your knees and give it to him? Or are you saying, no, I'm going to take this under my control and I'm going to live how I best see fit. And I'm going to respond to these people that I felt like have hurt me or have harmed other people. How is your heart? Here's the thing. We need to constantly submit our lives to Christ. We need to constantly submit every aspect of our life to him. 
Because if we have repented and believed in Christ, we alluded to Christ, you can have all of me. I'm going to build my life upon your love, build my life upon what you have done, which means we surrender everything to him. Which means we surrender our emotions and how we respond to him. Which means we need to constantly tell God, okay, search me, know me, test my heart, find that there is no grievous way in me. Lead me in the way of the everlasting. Lead me in your loving ways. Lead me in your grace. Become more like the person you've called me to be. Remind me of what you've forgiven me of. Remind me of what you've forgiven me of so I can forgive others as you do that. None of this is possible without us submitting all of this to the Lordship of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much just for all that you do. We are so undeserving of just all that you've done for us. I pray, would you help us submit our hearts to you? Would you help us submit just these feelings of anger or or being offended to you? Would you help us submit to you? Would you just break our hearts of any sort of bitterness or hardness that they have just produced because of that? Would you help us give it over to you? Would you help us just live for you? Would you just break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you replace our hearts of stone with a heart of flesh? Would you replace our anger with love? Would you replace our bitterness and offensive with forgiveness and compassion? Would you help us submit all of our life to you, Lord Jesus, as we grow to become more like you and continue to become even more kingdom-minded to represent your kingdom well in a world around us that is in desperate need of reconciliation? Never let us get over the power of the gospel. Never let us get over just what Christ did on the cross. And let us build our life upon that, upon his love. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.